We're going to be in John chapter 17. If you have your Bible today, John chapter 17 is where we're going to be hanging out. Ushers are going to come down the aisles. If you need a Bible, just wave at them. They'll be able to give you that. Um, You can pull the notes out of the back of your bulletin so that you can take some notes today. Um, And today's message is a last-minute audible. Um, Today's message is not what I had planned to preach on up until about a month ago, because you may or may not know this about me, but I usually plan our sermon series at least a year in advance, and almost all the weekly messages are laid out at least six months in advance. We had our leadership staff retreat this week, and I walked them through every series that I'll preach in 2017. Um, I basically gave them almost all my weekly text and big ideas through the end of the year. I, I work really far ahead asking God to help me understand where our church needs to go. So it's very rare that I come back to a text that I have spent so much time on six months previously And everything changes, but that is what has happened today. Everything has changed because just a few weeks ago, I was having my spring planning week. I was planning all the 2017 stuff that I'll announce to all our ministry leaders on June 5. You'll get a sneak peek of that. And then I'll announce it to the rest of our volunteers on August 13th at kind of our leadership training stuff. And then the rest of you will just get it as you come to church. Um, But I was off in a kind of in in a quiet cabin someplace where I could just kind of study and pray and plan Um, what was going to happen in the next year of ministry at our church. And I decided that I was going to get to the place very early, like 7 a.m., and every day that I was going to start by praying and doing my devotions. I was just going to have my quiet time. I was going to journal, and then I was going to pour into what God had for me for our church. And I just happened to randomly be doing in my Bible reading, um, I, I was in the book of John, just randomly. We've been studying the book of John for the last six weeks at our church. Today's the seventh week that we've studied the book of John. And we've been studying the book of John so that we could believe who Jesus said he was. Uh, I've told you that the, the, the book of John has the word believe a hundred times in the book because the whole book is written around this theme that if you know who Jesus is, you'll believe um, in who he is. Uh, and the book is arranged in these three thoughts, seven I am statements where Jesus says, hey, this is who I am. Seven sermons where Jesus said, this is how I want you to live your life. And then seven signs where Jesus proved that he was supernatural. And I told you early in the series, I said, I, I challenge you to circle the word believe every time you see it in the book of John and figure out what's supposed to make you believe. I, just a random thought. It wasn't even written into my notes. I just said it. And I started doing that. As I read the book of John, every time I saw the word believe, I circled it. And I was planning today to preach on the seventh sign from the book of John. John chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I touched on it briefly on Easter Sunday. It was an an incredible day. 53 people that day made decisions to follow Jesus. And were given a shirt that said best day ever. It was one of the best days ever in the history of our church. But I was planning to kind of teach a little deeper on John chapter 11 today. But I was doing my devotions. And I was reading in my devotions, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. If you're not aware of how the, the Bible is shaped, John chapters 13 through 17 can really be considered Jesus' last will and testament. There's only about three hours of life from John 13 to John 17, but it's the last night of Jesus' life before he's arrested. John chapter 13, he washes his disciples' feet. They have the Last Supper together. John chapter 15, they take a walk. He teaches on the vine and the branches. John chapter 16, he teaches them all about the Holy Spirit that's going to come after he leaves. And then in John 17, he starts praying. I mean, it's a text that I've read dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times. But for the first time, I'm reading the book of John, circling the word believe every time I see it and saying, okay, what are we supposed to believe? And I came across four verses 
this stopped me dead in my tracks. And literally, as I was trying to plan a year in advance, God said, no, 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 no. You need to stop and change your message on May 15th because what I've just told you is going to be revolutionary for your faith and for your church if they understand it. So here's what I read. Here's the four verses that I read in John chapter 17 that have redirected our course today in Scripture. Jesus said in John 20, so he's praying. He starts by praying for himself. And in his prayer for himself, he says something like this. God, if I don't have to do this, I'd rather not do it. Like this is too heavy for me. I'd rather not have to go to the cross. But if, if that's your will, let your will be done. Just help me. Then he prays for his disciples. Lord, if I get arrested, they're all going to run away and go crazy. Lord, help them come back. And then he turns in John chapter 17 and he prays this. He says, my prayer is not for them. That's the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Four verses, but three unbelievable truths that, that I needed to hear on this day and maybe you need to hear today. Number one, in case you never knew it, Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. I actually, I wrote my name in my Bible because it's okay to do that every now and then if it's appropriate. Look at verse 20. Jesus has prayed for himself. He's prayed for his disciples. And then he prays for this prayer. He prays this prayer. My prayer is not for them, them as the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Stop. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for everyone who will commit their life to Jesus because of the disciples' ministry. So I circled the word those in my Bible, I crossed it out and I wrote my name because Jesus basically on this night said, my prayer is not for them alone, I'm praying also for Christian. I'm praying for Christian tonight because Lord, if he believes in me through the thousands of years of church history, I know it's going to be hard for him sometimes, but I'm praying for him. Do you know that in the final hours of Jesus' life, he was thinking about you? Did you know that? Does that encourage you? Does that mean anything to you? In the final hours of Jesus' life, within eight hours, he would be beaten within an inch of his life. Within 12 hours, he would be hung on a cross. Within 15 hours, he was dead. And in those moments after he prayed, God, help me get through this, help the disciples not quit, he then turned and he thought about us in the year 2016. He said, God, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. You know, I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. But what I do know... I'm grateful for. And you should be too, because here's what I learned from John chapter 17. Listen, folks, Jesus knows you, and he loves you, and he's praying for you. I can't tell you how encouraged I get from time to time when someone will send me a text message and say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Have people meet me at the building from time to time because they say, hey, I want to I pray for you and for this building process you're going through. I can't tell you how much prayer comforts my soul. What if you would acknowledge every day, first thing every morning, what if you would get a text every morning from Jesus saying, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you today. Would that change your outlook on that day? What if when you had that difficult meeting with your boss or with your spouse or with your kids or you hung up that really negative conversation if Jesus would follow up that with a call and say, hey, I'm aware of what happened. I just want you to know, I'm praying for you. You're going to be okay. Jesus prayed for you. 
you know, my, my, um, one of my best friends is my little dog, Rudy. Um, and I think they've got a picture of Rudy that they're going to show on the screen. So that, that's Rudy, and he's my man, and he's like a part of my family. And when I say a part of my family, the next picture, <laughs> this is Thanksgiving dinner a couple years ago. And that's Rudy before Daniel made him get down. I would like him to sit at the table every meal. Daniel's like, he's a dog. He's got um, to go. But I, I love Rudy. Um, and I named my dog Rudy because one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie about a walk-on football player at Notre Dame um, called Rudy. And one of my favorite moments of that movie, when Rudy finally gets to dress and he finally gets to be at a game, they show the Notre Dame football team and they're all in the locker room. And right before they go out, their coach is giving them kind of a speech. And right before they hit the field, the speech ends. um, And he asked the priest who's in the room, he said, Father, take us to prayer. And they start praying, Hail Mary. They start praying their Catholic prayer. And they get to the end of it and they're like, Hail Mary, you know, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. And then they say, you know, our, fa- our mother, Notre Dame. Notre Dame in French means Notre Dame, Notre Dame de Lac, which means Our Lady of the Lake. It's basically the school's named after Mary. But the guy says, um, our mother, Notre Dame, and the whole team yells, pray for us. And like every time that happens, I'm like, yeah, you know, and I want to play like a champion and I want to put on my helmet and like I want to play like that moment of the movie moves me every time I hear it. Notre Dame, my mother, pray for us. Yeah, it's like, that's so exciting to me as a former football player. But do you know nowhere in the Bible does it say that Mary or anyone else in the Bible prays for us? But it says Jesus prays for us. I mean, over and over and over, it says Jesus prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. Intercede is, is a word for prayer. It means to talk to God on someone's behalf. The Bible says that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Like that's his job. Jesus says, I'll pray for you. When you need someone to go talk to, your, to God on your behalf, I, I got you, I'll pray for you. More than that, in Romans eight twenty six, it says, in the same way, the spirit that Jesus gives us, it helps us in our weakness when we don't know what we ought to pray for. The spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever been at a point of pain that you can't speak, but you can make noise? Have you ever been so brokenhearted you can't talk, but you can cry? Have you ever been so lonely that you just cry out? The Bible says there are sometimes you're hurting so bad physically or emotionally or mentally, you don't even know what to say. But at that time, Jesus, through his spirit, begins to pray exactly what you would say if you knew how to say the right thing. My gosh, what an encouragement that Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for you when you're hurting. And maybe some of you needed to hear that today. Maybe you didn't need to hear a sermon. Maybe you just needed to hear the fact that Jesus this week is praying for you. Some of you have a tough week. Some of you students got a bunch of finals. Jesus is going to pray for you this week. Some of you teachers have to grade a bunch of finals this week. Jesus is going to be praying for you this week. Some of you school administrators have to wrap up all the last-minute problems and, and opportunities of the school year. Jesus is praying for you this week. That's the message of John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for you. And maybe today during this service, Jesus is not just praying for what's going on, but he's praying that your heart will be open to the next two realities because they're powerful. Number two, we see in John chapter 17 that Jesus has a plan for you. When we read his prayer, we read his plan. Jesus said, I'm going to pray for everyone who believes. I'm going to pray for Christian. I'm going to pray for Danielle and for little Christian and Casey and his family and his mom and dad. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for your family. What is he praying He's praying that this plan may happen in your life. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I'm circling the word believe, I'm reading John, and the Bible says Jesus said the same thing he said about his miracles. In John chapter 2, John said they saw the miracle of water to wine and they all believed in him. It's the exact same language. Jesus says they will see my plan for Christians and then everyone will believe in me. You know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s, really. My notes say I'm a child of the 90s, but I'm not. I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 78. Um, and I may have lived my entire life without a car seat. Maybe, you know, maybe like some of you today. Like a booster was what you sat on at a restaurant, not at a car. I don't know that I ever wore a bicycle helmet. I'm not saying it was good or bad. I just don't know that I, that I did. Um, there was no such thing as organic when I, you know, when I was younger. It was all just what it was. And we didn't wear sunscreen. I, you know, I've told you this story. It just wasn't a thing in the 80s. So, I, you know, I get sunburned growing up in the country, running around without a shirt off. You get sunburned every year. I go to the dermatologist and they cut sunspots and stuff off me that could later be dangerous. So, you know, Danielle is like my daily dermatologist. You know, she's like always looking at me and touching me and poking me. And like, should we cut that one off? And should we? And I'm like, just stop, quit touching me. Um, and one day she comes up and she kind of touches my back and she's like, there's, a, there's like a little bump in your back right here. There's a little bump in your back. And she's like, you need to go get that checked out. I'm like, it's not a tumor. You know, it's like, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> Who is your daddy? And what, you know, it's like, no, I'm not, it's, not, it's like, no, I'm not going to the doctor. She's like, nope, you're going to the doctor. You, you got to get that checked out. I'm like, all right. So like a year later, I go to the doctor just, just a few weeks ago and they hand me this form when I walk in that says, um, the doctor may have student interns with him today during your evaluation. Can they sit in and watch? And I'm like, why not? You know, it's like, I'm an experiment. Why not? So I go in the room. Daniel's there with me because I don't go to the doctor by myself because I often pass out when I go to the doctor. Went to visit a guy yesterday in the hospital and while he was talking to me, they started putting a, an IV in his arm and without him even knowing, I just went and got a chair and I went and sat down because I thought I'll be closer to the ground if I pass out this way. And I'm, I made it through, but that's normally what happens. If you're in the hospital, I'll probably pray for you, maybe not with you, um, unless I'm really feeling strong that day. They're, they're not my thing. So Daniel goes with me. Doctor comes in the room and he's like, take off your shirt. Where's the thing? And you know, Dr. Danielle's like, oh, it's right here. And here's how long it's been here. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Touching. He's like, oh, I, th- I think it's all right. And his, his, he's got these two little intern people with him and they both look about 12, but you know, but they've got coats on, two little girls. Um, and he's writing his form. Um, and he said, ladies, did you, um, did, did you, did you see it? Did, would you like to see it? And he's like, sir, would you mind? I'm like, it's fine. You know, so they come around and you can hear them kind of looking. They're like the minions. Like, Ooh, ah. You know, it's like they can, you know, they've never seen anything like this before. Um, and the doctor says to this, he says, you can touch him, go ahead. And I thought, this is just crazy. Like I was just trying to get ready one day. Um, it, so now they're like, touch me. And he asked him, he said, so, so were you able to see it and feel it? And they both had to give, I guess, give a verbal answer. Yeah, yes, we were able to see it and feel it. And I thought, man, I wonder how many times God would like to ask a Christian when they get home from work, did someone see and feel your Christianity today? Like did someone actually get to witness and feel your Christianity 
today? Like, are, are you a spiritual experiment for me that people get to see in you something they've never seen before because Jesus lives in you? Because that's the thought of God's plan for your life. Can people see and feel Jesus in you? The book of John is about seeing and believing Jesus in Scripture A hundred times the word believe is used. The book is laid out, seven statements, seven sermons, seven signs. We've said that for seven weeks. But God always planned, Jesus always planned that we would be the final sign. You see, there's eight signs in the book of John, not seven. Seven ends with Lazarus. Eight is you. And Jesus prayed for you. Hours before he died, he said, God, I'm praying for Christian that he would be the next sign, that his life would be the final miracle so people could see and feel that Jesus is real and give their lives to God. You know, on your, on your sermon notes, I have Jesus always planned that we would be the final sign. You need to cross out the word we and put you. Jesus always planned that you would be the final sign. It was his plan. It's a good plan. There's so many people in our church that are impacting so many people and they ask, well, how does that happen? Well, people just are seeing Jesus in their life. Starting with the disciples, I found this so interesting that Jesus made seven statements. He preached seven sermons and then he did seven signs, but he turned around and he asked his disciples what they thought of all those things. So seven times Jesus said, here's who I am. And then he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Because what's going to be important is not who I say I am, but who you say that I am. So he turned to the disciples and said, who do you say that I am? He gave seven sermons on how we were supposed to receive his message. But then he taught his disciples, how are you going to receive the message? And he told them about four types of soils and how those kind of correlated to our heart and how we would receive what Jesus has for us. Jesus gave seven signs that proved he was supernatural. But then he said, your life is going to be a sign. What will your life say about me? That's why the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. This is Jesus' plan for you, and it works. It's why our church has more than five families right now. We started less than five years ago with five families in my living room. You say, how has it grown? I met with a church planner who, who planted a church in Kansas a few years ago, two weeks ago, and he asked me, how do you get all the people to come to your church? How do you get people who don't go to church to come to your church? And I said, I don't know. He said, are you doing marketing? I said, no. Well, do you send out mailers? I said, no, we will when we go in the building. Well, what, what are you doing? And I said, I think people are seeing Jesus in the people who go to our church and people are inviting their friends and people are... The plan works. Our church is proof that the plan works. But Jesus' plan isn't done. His final miracle is still in motion that we would live a life worthy of the calling and that Jesus' plan would work and people would continue to see God. Why? Because number three, Jesus has a purpose for us. He doesn't just have a plan, he has a purpose for us. And when I read and began to learn what this meant this week, it, it literally changed the way that I think about my Christianity. John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23. Jesus said, I have given them the glory. You have to circle those words or underline those words or write those words on your hand or type those words in your phone, the glory. I have given them the glory. That you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Glory. This word glory is the key to the final miracle. 
This concept of glory is a, is a concept, it's a term. It's a picture that's used throughout scripture. If you just go to a theological dictionary and say, what does glory mean spiritually? Here's what they would say the glory of God is. The awesome light that radiates from God's presence and is associated with his acts of power. So basically when God shows up, the glory of God shows up. That's the thought. Jesus was the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 said the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus reflects the glory of God. So the glory of God then is what can be seen and known about God at certain times in Scripture. During Jesus' lifetime, Jesus was the perfect example of the glory of God. His life in ministry showed people what could be known of God and what could be seen of God. But it wasn't just Jesus. Really, one of the first times this phrase is used in desperation for a people is by a guy by the name of Moses. Moses, whose mom and dads were slaves. Moses, who was nearly aborted, and then they almost practiced infanticide on him, which means you kill children after they're born instead of before they're born. Moses, who was rescued and and adopted by the royal family in Egypt. Moses, who would lead the people of Israel out of Egypt after the ten plagues and the dividing of the Red Sea and the whole, you know, Prince of Egypt thing, if you've ever seen that movie, or maybe the old Charlton Heston one. Like, a lot of people are aware of kind of who Moses is. But Moses struggled to lead the people of Israel... Moses struggled to do what God wanted him to do because he didn't, he just didn't know God intimately enough. He just didn't fully understand what God's plan was for him and for the people. So after they kind of got stuck at Mount Sinai and the, you know, Moses went up to worship God and the people stayed at the bottom and made idols and started worshiping them. And God's like, I'm just going to kill them all. Moses is like, no, don't do that. He and God had a conversation and Moses asked God this question. When he said, God, you've got to help me understand what's going on here. Moses in Exodus 33, 18 said, God, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. What is glory? It's what can be seen and known about God. Moses was saying, I need to know you're real. Show that to me. I need to know you have a plan. Show that to me. I need to know you're going to help me lead these people to you. Show that to me. God, help me understand who you are. Show me your glory. And the glory of God proved to Moses that God was real, number one. God passed before him and he said, Moses, you need to know that I'm real. The glory of God revealed to Moses that God had a plan for his life and for the people of Egypt and for the world at large. And the glory of God proved to Moses that God wanted people to cross into the promised land, to know him, to live for him, to live with him, and to kind of set their life up with God in the center. It was the glory of God that revealed to Moses who God was so that the people could know him. Hundreds of years later, Elijah would have a similar problem where he just needed to be reminded that God was real so he could keep moving forward spiritually. And the glory of God, it says, passed by Elijah as he was hiding in the cave. And then along came Jesus, who would be the glory of God, what people could see and know and understand about God. And then here's Jesus in John 17. Listen to it now in that context. Saying, God, I'm getting ready to check out. But the glory, the glory which you revealed to Moses... The glory which you revealed to Elijah. The glory that has been present in my life. God, I'm going to take the glory and I'm now going to give it to those who will be Christians. God, what can be seen and known of you in your plan, in your heart, in your eternity? God, I'm going to give your glory. What can be seen and known of you 
to Christians. It's going to be their job now. They're going to have to pass by people who are in dark seasons of their life wondering if there's a God. But when they pass by, people will see you. God, they're going to have to answer questions when people say, is there a God and does he have a plan and does he have anything for me? It's going to be the glory of their life that's going to answer those questions. God, when people wonder if Jesus was alive, how he would live their life, that's going to be on them now. I'm giving them your glory. Anything that can ever be seen or known about you for the rest of time, God has to come through the Christians. So you see why Jesus prayed for you. It's pretty important. God passed on his most valuable resource to you, his glory, what could be seen and known of him so that you might show people who God is. Jesus said the glory has been handed to his believers and the believers have been handed the keys to his church. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You see, the glory of God will continue to be experienced in our world. The glory of God will continue to pass through our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our classrooms. The glory of God will continue to be seen and felt in our homes if the church and the unity of our purpose and our mission becomes what can be seen and known about God. And if all this is true, then we better take his calling really seriously which is what we're trying to do is we build not a church, but a building for our church, for this community. We've been saying since the very first Sunday of this year that this year was going to be the year to finish. I have worn this little finish bracelet every day this year to remind myself that this is a pretty important season that we're trying to finish moving into this building. And I said the first Sunday of January when they hung up that banner in the back that we're all going to have to pray, we're all going to have to serve, we're all going to have to consider who we can bring, and if we've made a pledge, we're going to have to give to finish this season. But those have just been words. There hasn't been any real action steps until now. And as we move into the summer of 2016, you need to understand that this summer is the summer to finish. And we're now taking these words and we're putting action into them and we're going to draw into God this summer like we've never drawn into him before. I'm going to ask everyone to pray when you pray. But we also, starting June 5 and continuing through the summer, we're going to have 40 days of prayer in the building, at the building, around the building, for the building and the people who will come that they might find Jesus. Every Wednesday night, starting June 8th at 6 p.m., I'll be up there with some of our pastors, and we want to invite you to come to pray if you want to, just for 30 to 45 minutes of prayer. All of our ministry teams are going to take turns going up to the building and praying. Many of our volunteer teams are going to take time going up to the building and praying. June 5, we've got a leadership training, and at the end of that, we're all going to go to the building together, and we're going to pray. Why? Because prayer moves the heart of God towards the people of earth. It's just the way it works. So we've got to pray. And some of you have been praying, but I believe when God's people pray corporately, there's something of the glory of God revealed of in, within that. What can be seen and known about God as his people gather to say, help. We're going to lean into this serve campaign. We're praying that, that God will give us 100 volunteers for the first 100 days in our building, which is basically every Sunday between grand opening and Christmas, the ones that you're in town. We're asking everyone in our church to consider serving for those first 100 days as the community comes, and they try to find out who Jesus is through our church. And all summer long, we're going to talk about that. Many of you are not serving yet, but we're going to ask you this summer to find your spot and to get locked into place because through you, And what you do at our church, people are going to experience the glory of God in their life. We're asking you to bring. And this summer, we're going to put some resources in your hand. But one of those is going to be what we call the 10 by 10 bring project. We're going to ask every person at our church 
Because we've acknowledged this building is not for us. We're fine doing church here, unless there's a swim meet, and that makes it a little more difficult. But other than that, we're fine doing church here. But we're building a building because we think people in the community will come to church in a building that won't come to church in a school. We're going to ask every person in our church to write down the names of 10 friends or family members or colleagues or neighbors that in the first 10 months of our church, they can invite on a specific Sunday where we're just given the gospel, just ABC Christianity, here's who Jesus is. Our grand opening, our five-year anniversary. We've got a, what we're calling a best day ever kind of friend day in December, Christmas, Easter, Vision Sunday, just 10 big Sundays. that we say, hey, these are for your friends to hear about Jesus. We're going to ask everyone to get into the habit of realizing we've got to bring people if they're going to hear about Jesus. And then we're praying that people who have made pledges can give. And if they can't, that God will help us. On August 7th, which will be the first Sunday of August after our pledge campaign has ended, I will stand on this stage and I'll tell you if we've made it or not. And then we'll pray and we'll figure out what to do. But we're close. 85% of what has been pledged has come in so far. I mean, we're close. We're on the last lap. But we've got to finish. And why do we finish? Because you and I individually, but much more so you and I together, we've been handed the glory of God. What Moses got to see, what Elijah got to experience, what the followers of Jesus got to experience, Jesus said that glory stays in the world. It just stays now through the people of God. And it's interesting that one of Jesus' first and last prayers in Scripture stated the same goal, that God's kingdom would be present on earth. That's what John 17 was. God let people see you and your kingdom through my people. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray this way. Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I stated early in January that God had kind of transformed my mind. I used to think there's Christianity on earth and then there's Christianity on heaven. But God kind of messed up my mind and he said, no, 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 no. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it's supposed to be the same, that your life in heaven is supposed to be your life on earth. So this year in every conversation, I've tried to stop and say, okay, well, how would I respond in heaven? If I totally trusted Jesus, how would I respond in heaven? Anytime I worry, I try to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm supposed to live my life on earth as I would in heaven. So if I was in heaven and Jesus lived down the street, would I worry this much or would I just trust and leave it alone? God, how would I love this person in this situation in my heavenly self, in my perfect self? And God's been trying to transform me. I realize now because he said, Christian, you are the glory of God. The church is the glory of God. If people are going to see and know me, it's going to be through you. So you better start living your life on earth the same way you're going to live in heaven. Get the what would Jesus do bracelet off your wrist and put one on that says, what would I do in heaven? That is the more appropriate question according to the Lord's prayer. And if it wouldn't be a big deal in heaven, quit making it a big deal on earth. And if you would trust God in heaven, start trusting God in earth. And if you would love people who weren't just like you in heaven, love people who aren't just like you on earth. And if you weren't worried about the political season in heaven, don't be so worried about it on earth. Learn to trust and live for God and love people on earth the way you're going to do in heaven. That is how God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we all should put our hands together for that because if that happens... I promise our community will see Jesus. The final challenge of Jesus' ministry offered in John 17 was this. Let's be a church that shows people that Jesus is real. That's what he prayed for his disciples. That's what he prayed for us. Let's be a church that shows people that Jesus is real. Our band is going to come to the stage and we're going to close with a worship song today called Kingdom Come that I'm sure I've not talked to the author of the song, but in Matthew chapter 
6.10, Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a church wrote this song with lyrics that say this. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever you reign, forever you reign. And then it says, let hope swell in our lives and we will be the church. We will be the church that lives out your heart. Oh God, arise up in us so we can show the world how you love. That's Jesus' plan. That's the final miracle. That the church leans so much into Jesus and is so transformed in their lives and in their spirit that when people look at Christians and at the church, they glimpse a little bit of the glory of God that Moses experienced, Elijah experienced, Jesus' disciples experienced. They glimpse that in us. As we lean into our summer to finish, we're counting on you to lean into Jesus more than you've ever leaned into him before.